Lou, Lou. Morning, everybody. So as uh, many of you might know already, Pastor Rich and Paula have been sick for the last uh, little over a week, uh, so that's why you've got me here instead. Uh, I talked to Pastor Rich yesterday. He said that they've had a rough time with it, you know, but they're, they're starting to feel a little better. He said they're starting to move more forward than backwards, so that was good to hear. But just keep them in prayer. Keep all of our uh, folks who are sick and dealing with various illnesses in prayer uh, we'll keep praying for them. They're probably watching right now or we'll watch later. So if you all want to turn to the camera and say hi. Hi. Miss you guys. I want you back here soon. So why don't we turn to John chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. First John, I'm sorry. First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. That's what we're going to be studying today. Last time we studied in 1 John, which is a little while ago because we've, we've had a couple you know, special messages, a uh, guest speaker, two guest speakers uh, with special messages, uh, so, and then there were the holidays in there. So the last time we, we studied 1 John way back in 2021, uh, we covered the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. And in verse 1, we see... Hey, where's my clicker? There it is. <laughs> Should have found that before I got up here. First <laughs> John 3, 1. How great is the love of the Father that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So as if it wasn't enough that Jesus died on the cross and saved us from our sins and gave us the, the chance to have eternal life in him, He's also made it possible for us to be adopted into God's family. How great is the love of the Father that we would be called children of God. Just amazing. So we talked about that back when we last looked at this in 2021. And we're going to skip ahead to verses 11 to 15 today because Pastor Rich already has something planned for the verses in the middle. So I didn't want to you know, do, do what he's doing. And uh, then he'll get back and fill in the blanks. So verses 11 to 15 is what we're going to cover today. Now, John talks in these verses about this vital characteristic of God's children. You know, if we're going to be called children of God, there's a vital characteristic that we need to have. And if we don't have it, we're forced to really question if we really are his children at all. In verse 11, we see, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You know, John is not afraid to repeat himself, right? Does anyone notice that? He, he kind of drives those points home multiple times, right? Um, but, you know, this is God's word, and, and the Holy Spirit inspired John to write that multiple times. And if, there, if it's there multiple times, I think there's a very good reason that God put it there. And it's because he wants to get that point across to us very firmly and remind us repeatedly that he wants us to love one another. Last... You know, this was covered earlier in the book of 1 John in chapter 2, but that was way back in October that we studied that. So, so it's time for a reminder. And maybe some of you weren't here back in October when we covered love one another. Now, John learned that, mess, that lesson that we should love one another. And when we're talking about one another, we mean each other as the family of God, as believers here in particular. He learned that lesson from his years with Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, also written by John, of course, but Jesus' words 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So our love for each other is a sign to other people of us being part of God's family. It's something that should make us different. You know, when I was growing up, the, I went to Catholic church, and uh, as some of you might know, but there was a hymn that I actually remembered from then called, They'll Know We Are Christians By Our Love. And it's been uh, covered by some different Christian artists over the years, so you might have heard it before. Um, the reason it really stuck with me, it's funny, because for a brief window of time in my childhood, we had a couple doing the music at our church, and the husband actually had a guitar. You know, which if any of you have been to Catholic Church, that's not the usual, you know. It's pretty much organ all the time. Um, And, you know, like I said, it was brief, so maybe some people weren't really ready for his wild and crazy acoustic guitar. But but I loved it. You know, it was great. So you can imagine when I first came here or, or to Winman Junior High where we were meeting at the time, and I walked into the cafeteria and I see this full band playing. And at the time, we had two different drummers. We had a guy doing like a conga drum and the guy on the, on the drum kit. And so that's like, whoa, like acoustic guitar was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in worship before. But the song went, the chorus of the song was the same as the title. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, right? So that stuck with me. Now, John wasn't the only New Testament writer to bring this up. First Peter 4, 8 Peter wrote, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You know, when, when we love each other, if we're really loving each other, then we're going to let things go. Things that might have bothered us, things that might have hurt us even. We can let them go. We can forgive that person, whether they're sorry or not. Let it go and cover over that sin, cover, cover over a multitude of sins. Not to say that it never happened, not to say that maybe that person doesn't need to work on that but to say that we've forgiven it, so it's like we forgot, forgive and forget, and we can go on having love and fellowship for that person. So if we're really loving each other, that's what we'll do. We won't hold on to it. And both us and that other person will be better off for it, right? Paul gives a further reason why we should love each other. In Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I mean, when you put it that way, it's hard to justify not forgiving someone else or not loving them when we know everything that Christ has forgiven us, right? It's, it's really, you know, you, you know, you have to really stretch yourself to find a way that you can make that make sense. You know, like it doesn't. You know, he's forgiven us everything. It's like the story of the, the people who have forgiven, forgiven a small debt and a large debt, you know, might be familiar with that one. We can't go holding on to things that we're angry about and, and not loving other people when Jesus loves us despite all the things that, that we've done. He's, he died on the cross to forgive us for them, to pay for our sins. You know, in my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. So while we were still sinners, so it wasn't necessary that we turned ourselves around and made ourselves better for Jesus to love us and die for us. He loved us and died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God. 
And so if he could do that for us, then we can forgive people and love them even when they're not sorry or maybe even when they're still doing the things that they're doing that bother us. We can keep forgiving them and we can keep loving them. Now, John, Peter, and Paul were very different people. And, you know, Peter and John both grew up fishermen. Paul was raised as a Pharisee. Uh, Peter and John weren't the same age and they had different uh, personalities. But one thing that they all had in common was that Jesus radically changed their lives. And so it's no surprise that we see all three of them echoing Jesus' words from John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now that's a command. That's not a suggestion from Jesus. You must love one another. Not you really ought to love one another or try your best to love one another when it's convenient. You know, you must love one another. That's what Jesus says. As I have loved you, we must love one another. Now, on our own, we're not capable of that for everyone. We might love people that we like. You know, we might manage to love our families and our friends, but we're not really capable of loving everyone on our own. But when we put our trust in Jesus and receive our salvation and receive eternal life and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, then that excuse has been removed. It's not that we're no longer capable of it because with his help, we are capable of that now. So we can't say, oh, I just can't do it. I can't love other people. They they bother me. You know, they they really just rub me. That person, you don't know him. He rubs me the wrong way. I'm not pointing at you guys, by the way. (laughs) So, you know, we can't say that because even if they do rub us the wrong way, even if they are really mean even if they, they, they've done a bunch of stuff that hurts us. We still have the Holy Spirit living within us, and God has told us that he will help us to love them with his love. And it's his love coming through us that allows us to love them. So we have a choice to make. We must love one another. Are we going to do what God tells us to do, or are we going to do what we feel like doing? Now, this isn't automatic at all. Not at all is this automatic. When you become a believer in Jesus, most of us that I know did not all of a sudden start walking around just loving everybody, you know? Maybe, maybe back in the Jesus movement days because all those people were hippies and they were already loving everybody anyway, you know? But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> different kind of loving. You know? Peace and love. It doesn't happen automatically, you know? We, we don't instantly... We, we are instantly changed. We become a new creation in Christ when we receive our salvation. But we still have our flesh fighting against us, and we have to let God do a work in us. You know, he's going to carry that work out to completion. You know, he'll be faithful to do it. But when we fight against him and just go with our flesh instead of going with what he wants to do, what Jesus wants us to do, then, then we slow that process down and we... Uh, get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. So we have daily choices to make. We're going to either we're going to love others, forgive them, let things go, or we're going to hang on to things, get bitter about them, and that bitterness can lead to hatred. And we'll just, if we do that enough, we'll become like hateful people that are pretty miserable and aren't, aren't good to be around. Um, and it'll just do a lot of damage to us internally in our spirit. We have, this, we have our flesh fighting against the spirit. Our flesh doesn't want to love other people. 
our flesh really has one priority in mind, right? You know, it's our self. You know, our flesh wants to put all the attention on ourself, self, selfish flesh. Not to love other people above ourselves, not to do, do things for others. You know, it wants to take care of number one. So we are at war with our own flesh. You know, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And we have these daily choices to go along with the flesh, which is opposed to God's work in us, or ask God for help. You know, love isn't a feeling, necessarily, you know, that we're always going to have for someone. Love is a decision we need to make. Am I, gonna, am I only going to love the people who make me feel good, or am I going to choose to love others even when they don't? So the next two verses... You know, if we, if, we make, if we make that choice, we'll avoid uh, disobeying God, first of all. You know, we, we, we follow his word and do what he says. We're going to be blessed by that. And we'll free ourselves, at the very least, even if that person never changes. You know, we love them despite whatever they've done to us. Even if they're not sorry, they never change. At the very least, we've obeyed God. We have a clear conscience. And we free ourselves from bitterness. So in the next two verses, speaking of bitterness, John gives us an example of who we do not want to be like. In verses 12 to 13, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now the account of Cain and Abel, which many of us are familiar with, it's found in Genesis chapter 4. Why don't we look at that real quick? When we turn to Genesis chapter 4, we can take a look, closer look at Cain and Abel and what John is talking about here. Genesis chapter 4. It starts in the second part of, we'll start in the second part of verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It's a very sad account that we have here. Now Cain, if you really think about it, Cain has the distinction of being the first person ever born. You know, because Adam was created from the dust and Eve was created from his rib. So Cain is the first person ever born and he also is the first murderer. So when you think about it, the first person ever born killed somebody. You know, like it didn't take long once sin entered the world for things to deteriorate very quickly to the point where he would kill his brother. And we don't exactly know exactly why Cain's offering was not looked on with favor. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. So by faith. So Abel's 
That would, that would seem to indicate that Abel had faith and Cain did not. Abel had a right heart towards God and Cain did not. They both brought something. It wasn't because meat is better, better than vegetables, though that's true. You know, <laughs> it was... Warren Wearsby said about this, it seems clear that God must have given definite instructions concerning how he was to be worshipped. Cain rejected God's word and decided to worship in his own way. This shows his relationship to Satan, for Satan is always interested in turning people away from the revealed will of God. So whatever the reason, however, whatever he did something wrong, because God told him, you need to, if you do right, your offering will be accepted. So he did wrong. And as a result, God told him that he wasn't pleased with his offering. God spoke gently with him, though. If you, if you really look at this, God spoke very gently to him and warned him, encouraged him to master sin and choose to do what is right. And Cain chose not to listen to God. He just let his anger get a hold of him, and he went and planned, premeditatedly killed his brother. And it wasn't because Abel did anything wrong to him. You know, he was angry with Abel because he did what was right. And him doing what was right exposed Cain doing what was wrong. That's how he decided to deal with his anger. And when he was found out, first of all, he lied about it. He tried to hide his sin. And then when God told him what his punishment was, that's when he became upset. That's, that's the only remorse he showed, was that he, wasn't ha- he, he was very unhappy with how hard his life was going to be from now on. But he didn't show any guilt or regret for actual, the actual act of killing his brother. He didn't like the punishment, but he didn't say, what have I done, you know, or anything like that. It was really pretty cold-hearted, the way that he killed his brother, and didn't show any remorse. It wasn't like a one of those crimes of passion or a moment of anger. He he planned it. So Abel hadn't done anything wrong, but he was killed for it. He did what was right. And perhaps that's why in the next verse, back in 1 John, you can flip back there. I promise I won't make you flip any further. I think we're going to stay there for the rest of the time. Back in 1 John, the next verse. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now, Abel was a true follower of God. Cain, though he brought a sacrifice to God, was part of Satan's world system. That's what we say when we talked about this the last time I taught, actually, that when we say don't love the world or don't be in the world, we're talking about the world system of sin that Satan has set up. So Cain was a very early part of that system, and he opposed Abel by killing him. He hated his brother, so do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Cain hated his brother for doing what was right, and people will hate us when we do what is right. The world is opposed to God and to anyone who follows him. So as we follow Jesus, we will be more and more opposed by this world system and those that are a part of it. We see this in those who have really devoted their lives to trying to scrub the God of the Bible out of everything in our country, right? 
remove the Ten Commandments from every building, remove any prayer from anywhere, schools or anything. They've devoted themselves to oppose God and remove him from everywhere because they're part of the world system. They're lost people who Satan's using to do his work. And that's why, you know, even though there are other beliefs, other uh, religions that actually don't line up with uh, progressive agendas, you know, they, they get left alone. You don't see anyone working really hard to remove uh, any mention of Buddha or Islam or uh, Hinduism from anywhere, you know. I mean, uh, granted, those things weren't, like, displayed in public buildings, but, you know, they're, they're okay. We actually need more of those things. We need to represent them more. We need to uh, put them more in more movies and advertisements and everything. You know, they need to be shown more because they're actually not opposed to Satan and what he's doing. So they're okay. Satan's fine with all the other religions. He's, he's totally cool with false religions. They, they actually help him out a lot. And that's why you don't see any such like, uh, efforts being made to get rid of all these other belief systems. It's really just Christianity that people have the biggest problem with. They're, everyone wants to be more tolerant except for Christianity. People are not very tolerant of us. But that's because they're in the world and that we shouldn't be surprised by that. God told us this would happen. But not everyone in, not every person in the world will hate us. Some of them might see us, and if we love them and show them that love, they might want what we have. And that's where you get someone who may actually be curious, ask you questions, and could even turn to Christ themselves. You know, someone who was part of the world, just like we were, before we receive salvation, they might see the love we have and want it. So we have, we have to be sure that we show that love even to people who are in the world and hate us. John speaks a lot, is speaking a lot directly about loving each other as believers right here, but we know from Jesus' teachings that our love extends to everyone. We're to love our enemies even. In verse 14, John says, We have passed from death to life. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So if we have received our salvation, if we're truly believers and followers of Jesus, we'll love our fellow Christians. That will be evidence of our love, of of our faith. David Guzik said about this, A love for the people of God is a basic sign of being born again. If this love is not evident in our lives, our salvation can be questioned. If it is present, it gives us assurance. So when we see how much love we have for our fellow Christians, we can, we can reassure ourselves, yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, I really am his because I love my brothers and sisters. Now, if we don't have that love, it can lead us to you know, question, am I really God's? You know, is he really doing a work in my life? Have I really received my salvation? And, uh, you know, if, if those are things that you might be thinking, then, then uh, you know, we, we have to examine ourselves and decide whether we really are his. And if, and if we aren't, then we need to do something about it. We need to go to him and ask for his, ask for salvation. Ask him to come into our lives and change us and make us people who love one another. But that's not to say that if we have a moment that we 
dislike someone or are annoyed with someone or angry with someone, to any of those things like nullify our salvation or mean that we're not believers. Warren Wearsby said, A believer is in the practice of loving the brethren, even though on occasion he may be angry with a brother. Occasional incidents of anger do not nullify the principle. So just, you know, like I said, if, if you really hate everyone all the time, then you should be worried. If you once in a while get mad at someone, you, you're probably okay. You know, if, ever, if you have every other piece of evidence in your life that you belong to Jesus and you're once in a while angry with someone, then you haven't lost your salvation. You just need to ask God for more help to not get angry with people. While we're in these human bodies, we will never be 100% of the time loving everyone without interruption of our love. But we should be loving people by our nature, the nature, the new nature that we've received from Jesus. Or, or we have to wonder if we're really God's children at all. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, love, that should be coming out of our lives as believers. And this, is, this love that we have for each other is what makes fellowship with other believers such a very special thing. You know, we can, we can gather with family members we love, and we can gather with, you know, coworkers we like and love, you know. But if they're not believers, then there's something missing that isn't missing when we gather together, right? When we gather together, we have something in common, the most important thing in the world, and that's Jesus. It's more special than any other kind of gathering. I, that's why I have such a hard time understanding when I've known believers who have walked away from the church and just never look, never come back. And you know, of course, that makes that can make you wonder, like, are they, were they really believers at all, or, or what's going on with them? Uh, you know, I think that some of them are really believers, but somehow they've managed to cut themselves off from fellowship, and it's really sad. Uh, I pray for them, you know, and and we should that they would either come back here or that they would go to some other good Bible-teaching church and have fellowship with people over there, because it's so important for us to have fellowship. Spending time with God's family is a gift. Every time, you know, you guys know me, I'm, uh, many of you, I'm, I'm here almost every week. <laughs> but on the rare occasion that I am sick or something and I can't be here, I sincerely miss seeing all of you. It's an it's a important part of my week that I get to come together and see my, my church family. Have you ever noticed that like little spark of, of joy you get when you find out that someone you met out on the street, out in the world, is a believer too? Isn't that great? You know, when, when I found out that my next-door neighbors, elderly couple who live next door, when I first saw the Jesus fish on the back of their van, I was thrilled. And then after that, I noticed I was out in the yard raking, and I could hear... I could hear the wife playing hymns on the piano coming through the window, and it's just beautiful. It made me smile every time. I've heard it, again, it just makes me smile. I've talked to them. That's why they're such sweet folks. <laughs> They've been believers for a long time. They're, they're up there in age. Now, not every believer is going to necessarily be such a joy to, to see. You know, we don't, we don't have to... We don't have to go around saying, oh, that guy's unpleasant. He must not really be a believer. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's not how it works. I mean, we're all works in progress. Some people are 
have things they need to work out that would make them more pleasant, maybe. <laughs> if we, and we do too. We could be unpleasant. You know, I'm not, I'm not exempting myself from this. You know, if, if uh, we're not all easy to be around all the time. We don't, and we also don't have to agree with everything that another believer says or does, necessarily. But we should be in the practice of loving them anyway. It's evidence that we ourselves belong to Jesus, that we love them, that we've passed from death to life. If I don't love, remain in death. And that means that, again, we need to do some serious self-examination and ask God for help. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good so far about, you know, on a conviction level about this lesson. I love you people. I haven't killed anybody. I think I'm okay, right? You know, but (laughs) the last verse, verse 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So, no, I don't hate any of you. That's, that's good. But I have to admit that there have been times in my life when I felt hatred towards someone. You know, and it, not, not always, belie- there have been times that I, believers have hurt me. And, and, you know, that's the temptation to feel hatred. You know, I, I can't say that I've really ever hated a brother or sister that much. But, you know, there's a moment of anger and then I let it go. And I can tell you, every time I've ever let it go, I've been blessed by it. When you decide to choose love instead of choosing to hang on to that hatred for another person, you're always blessed by it. That person might become your best friend if you can let go of whatever they did the first day you met them, whatever it was. Or even let go of something that they did to you every day for a year. You know? But there have been people, you know, co-workers are probably like, Number one, right, for, for anybody who works in a group office or, or something like that, co- or any kind of group setting, really. Coworkers can really get under your skin, right? Especially when, like, what they're doing, like, affects you every day, and you just got to keep going in and seeing that person. And, but we're called to love them. And I've been guilty of not being very loving. I've, I've, I have to, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I've, uh, I've harbored those hateful feelings towards someone. Now, I, I learned about this at a young age, that I shouldn't hate anyone, that hate is like murder. You know, I've, I've learned that. I learned that a long time ago. And so, as a result, in a kind of legalistic way, I've just avoided saying I hate anybody, right? I don't, I don't hate anybody. I just really dislike these people, <laughs> you know? But when my really dislike is actually hate underneath it, you know, that's I'm still guilty of the same thing, even if I avoid the word like the plague and don't say that I hate people. If I just replace hate with really dislike and then act hateful towards that person, then I'm, I'm still hating them. You know, And so we need to let go of our hate, strong dislike, rubs me the wrong way, really bugs me, whatever it is that we call it. We need to let go of it, forgive that person, and love them whether they change or not. Otherwise, we'll be guilty of this. Now, Cain was John's example. He's an actual murderer. He belonged to the evil one. But if we go on hating people, then we are guilty of the same thing. 
David Guzik said about this, To hate our brother is to murder him in our hearts. Though we may not carry out the action through cowardice or fear of punishment, we wish that person dead. Or by ignoring another person, we may treat them as if they were dead already. Hatred can be shown passively or actively. So we need to be careful about that. You know, with these people that I am confessing to you now that I've had hateful feelings towards, I decided that the best I could possibly do with these people is be civil to their face, right? But I'll tell you, if you don't know already, there is nowhere in the Bible that we are commanded to be civil to someone's face only. There's nowhere where God says that's good enough. You know, thou shalt be civil to that person's face, even though they're really annoying. That's not a commandment. He commands us to love them. It's hard. I know it's hard. But with his help, we can do it. It goes beyond our fellow Christians and extends to everyone because of what Jesus taught. Love our enemies. Now, brothers and sisters in the church can hurt each other. Brothers and sisters can be insensitive. Not of you people, you're all great. But I'm talking about the church as a whole, you know, out there. But, <laughs> but we should have a, a special love for our brothers and sisters because we share Jesus in common. And we all have his love and we all share his love. And so this should be a place where we love each other. And we cover over a multitude of sins. You know, believers shouldn't be unpleasant. Believers shouldn't hurt each other. But we're all guilty of it. And, you know, we, we've all probably got a, a plank in our own eye that we need to get out before we go trying to deal with other people's splinters, right? Specs. Hanging on to hatred will make us bitter. Jesus taught us it will hinder our prayers and it will interfere with our worship of him. So if you're, if you're going to make an offering at the altar and you've got something against your brother, you better go deal with it first because it's going to get in the way of the offering you want to bring to God, of the worship you want to give God. God wants you to clear that up first. If you're able to continue to harbor hatred without being convicted of it, again, we need to question, are we really his? We don't lose salvation. If we have our salvation, we don't lose it if we have a moment where we get angry with someone. But if we are continually hating people without any conviction, and we don't have love for other people, then we need to wonder if God's love is inside of us at all. It's not always easy, and left on our own, we can't do it. But we can go in prayer to God, and we can repent of our sin, and ask him to help us love them the way he loves us. The way he loved us when we were still unlovable sinners. And died for us on the cross. You know, the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not saved a great guy like me. Saved a wretch like me. Having received that amazing grace, we need to show it to each other, first of all. And to the world around us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.